I'm just an individual, living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical, essence of my spiritual presence is visible, totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal, used to be a criminal, living so minimal, but things have changed in my life, is going through different intervals, finding that balance is significantly difficult, timing is everything, so my timing is critical, rhyming is literal, the unforgettable, it's why you stand before you impeccably so presentable, I give respect to you, know that I am respectable, I've always wanted acceptance, that acceptable? I am the rival expected to be exceptional, and I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional. I am incredible, Leo conventional, and you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional. Welcome to NC Raw. My name is Steve Steen. Coming to you with an amazing episode, episode six. Got most of the NC Raw crew in the house tonight. My man, the recovery lion, Caleb, pork chop, <laughs> McCoy. <laughs> what's up? What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? I totally forgot about that. Until I went back and listened. Oh, so you gonna bring it? Oh, okay, that's to, cool. To Caitlin's episode, and the, like it totally like blew my mind. I didn't even, I didn't even like retain that. And you disclosed that I on did. your own. Yeah, we'll keep it raw, man. Yeah, I hear you. Good to see you, bro. Good to see you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Ready to get this thing started, cranked up. For most of our listeners, they might like hear these shows. They might either tune into our Facebook videos or uh, stream from our site. And I just wanted to kind of like share with them uh, what the NC Raw relationship is. For those of you guys that don't know, Caleb is like one of the busiest cats in the Western North Carolina recovery community. I myself am a student. And I also hold a full-time job. So we don't get a whole lot of time to, like, spend with each other. No, we, we can, though. We can make, hey, I get up at 5 o'clock, 5.30 most mornings, and, hey, let's get it in. I'm ready. So most of our conversations, like, take place at this table. You know, yeah. we do a lot of planning throughout the week, mostly via, like, text messages and a weekly, like, planning meeting. We don't get a lot to do a lot of, like, fun activities, or just really like hanging out, kicking it time. So um, I think it's time for us to start doing that. I think it's time to, uh, for, I mean, not only does it happen like, like you're talking about, we don't get to spend enough time, but we always have, we always think we have these good excuses to not go out and do the things we want to do. We got, I mean, yeah. it's 24 hours in a day. We yep. can make time. Let's do it. I'm up early too, man. All I'm, right, I'm man. up at six every day. Okay. You need to drag my butt out of bed and start running with you. Let's do it. I'm not kidding, bro. Don't be threatening me with a good time, man. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, uh, one of the things that had crossed my mind um, over, you know, we're five episodes deep. We got five episodes in the book. We got four episodes published on our website. And one of the things, uh, we always talk about the importance of self-care and taking care of ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I've identified in myself is when I leave this studio, I'm jacked up, bro. 
Like I'm like I'm like addicted to the Facebook. I'm looking at how many likes and shares and I'm trying to respond to all the mm-hmm. comments on the page and stuff. And it's like two, three o'clock in the morning before I get to bed on the nights that that we record. And same thing goes on the days that we publish our episodes. We publish our episodes. Courtney probably hates me. I'm like texting the heck out of her. Like, what are, what's the data? What's the data? Give me some numbers. How many visits? How many people are listening? Who's listening? Like, I'm all over it. And so one of the things that I think that I need to bring in, not just to my life, but bring to the show is like a sense of a decompression period, a sense to something to allow us to like wind down after we do this, right? So I'm going to propose something to you guys. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I think it's going to be open for discussion for all of us to try to come up with something. But maybe, do you, do you, do you feel the same way? Like when you when you leave the studio, do you like, are you, are you as jacked up as me or is it just like the coffee and the energy drinks? I think, I think it's probably a little bit of the coffee and energy <laughs> okay. drinks. I, I am jacked up, not, maybe not to your level. Yeah. But, uh, Dude, I'm fired up when we leave here, man. Are you, Kaylin? Bro, I am fired up. So, I don't know. I was going to propose, like, maybe not tonight, but maybe, like, in the very near future, we, like, plan something. Like what? Like a run or something? after? I was thinking, like, go out to dinner, (laughs) but (laughs) if you want to do a run, maybe we could talk about it. Summer's coming. Courtney is shaking her head no. (laughs) I was thinking more like Waffle House. You know? No, no, abso- no, absolutely not, y'all. Come on. Yeah, they're they got they got salads at Waffle House. They're not exclusive though. We want exclusive. You we gotta get some salad. We want exclusive. Chef stage. Is that in Turkey? That's it. Yeah. That's yeah, all that. See, man, they li- got all you can eat crab legs. I, that, I can do that. But I don't know if I could do that after we record a show at ten or eleven o'clock. And well, it's a- on Sunday, so we could okay. we could be like do a little. That could be our meeting day. Like, yes, prep planning meeting. All right, write that Put down. in the books. It's in the books. All right, cool. Glad we worked that out. But no, I was thinking like hit up like. Remember, we live in small town called Louis Silva, Cherokee. It's 10, Cherokee. We're broadcasting from Louis, but so like, there's not a whole lot of things open in the immediate area. There's probably some stuff over here in on campus, maybe, but. So, like, I don't know. I was thinking maybe we could just, like, take some time to, like, Starbucks. Starbucks, okay. Take some time together to collectively, like, decompress to um, talk about the show, talk about how things went, and really, like, I don't know, wind down together as a team. So what do you think about... Cause when we finish, you know, usually it's it's late. So what do you think about maybe bump? Can we can we meet earlier? Can we meet earlier? That depending on how things go, starting six. Starting in the summer, school gets out in just a couple weeks. Starting the summer, we could totally start doing six o'clock shows. We could totally start doing six o'clock shows. So awesome! I'm glad we worked that out. So we'll have some more details. So we're going to start prepping at crab legs night Sundays. What chef stage? Seven o'clock. So if anybody's at chef stage on Sunday nights and they see the NC Raw crew come up and give us a shout out, let's take some pics. Absolutely. The selfie king right here. Yeah, if you got selfie the selfie stick, will um, be in full force. I think that if you know you have any anything that you want to add, you know, but we could we could you know talk about on the show, then come up and you know enlighten us on you know some some of the things that you have you know concerns or you know want to add to or take from or whatever. I love it, bro. Me too, I absolutely maybe. love it. 
You see what happens when we just throw out little ideas like that? Yeah, yeah. Run down the rabbit hole with it. We have a special guest tonight. One of my homies, a guy that I've known for a couple years here in Western North Carolina, somebody that's involved in the my personal recovery community and also a classmate, my man, Dustin Roach. What's up, NC Raw fans? Uh, my name's Dustin Roach. I'm um, a student at Southwestern Community College. I'm also a peer support specialist. I work at the Balsam Center. Yes, currently. sir. I've uh, been there for about a year now, and I'm loving every bit of it. I'm also a person in long-term recovery, um, and, you know, life's going good right now. So we've had, you're our, you're our fourth guest, and you're our third person in long-term recovery. What do all three of our guests have in common? Peer support specialist. Peer support specialist. Trained by who? The amazing Richie Tannerhill. Tons of love to our partner, Richie. He couldn't make it tonight. He's actually, I want to, you know, give him a shout out because he's starting his new job. To Shout out, Richie. Much love. Much love. Um, we're proud of you. Uh, proud of your accomplishments. And I know you're going to do great things in your new position. So we love you. And God bless. We look forward to having you back at the table with us very soon. Welcome, Dustin. What's up, bro? Uh, not much. I uh, just want to thank you guys for letting me get this opportunity to come on the show and uh, speak to uh, you guys and the fans about, you know, the, the movement. I love what you guys are doing here. Do you remember, gosh, it was middle, beginning to middle of last semester. You were like one of the first cats I came to with this idea. Before I even like, before I had an idea, I was like, I want to do a recovery podcast. And I was kind of like, in the very beginning contemplative stages of like what what would it look like what would be next and you were like one of the first dudes i bounced these ideas off of at school you remember that conversation at all yeah man i, I thought it was uh i thought it was a great idea at the time uh, i was hoping that i could be part of it at some point in time uh, i know you were talking about doing a little bit of diversity and mm -hmm. uh getting in there with uh you know a uh, diverse crowd and um i'm just i'm glad you're putting it together and everything's going well yeah and you, you had shared like at that time you had a lot of stuff going on with the job and uh kind of family life at home yeah there was uh there was a that was kind of a a busy time for me at that that moment in yeah. time i didn't have a lot of time to invest in anything other than what i was doing yes sir so tell us about Let's get you ready to get into this. You ready to get down and dirty with NC Raw? Yeah, let's get raw. Let's do it. Tell me about <laughs> where tell me about where you're from and like what life was like back home cuz I know you're not a local like me. Right. Yeah, um well I was uh born in Florida. Uh Mount Pimlet, Florida is right out outside of Orlando and um you know, at an early age, uh, I did a lot of moving around. Um, in high school, middle school, did a lot of moving around between Florida, Wisconsin, Ohio. Uh, and then here in the past three, about three years ago, I came up here to North Carolina, and this is where it all started. What was early life like back in Florida? Early life for me, man, it was, it was, it was good. You know, I, I, never really had to do without um 
you know, life was good. I, I was into sports, uh, baseball, you know, I was really good at baseball, uh, playing soccer and, um, basketball. Life was just, it was good, man. Um, I did well in school. Um, everything, you know, that a kid could want, I probably, you know, had. How about the family life at home? Family life was good. Uh, my mom, she, she kind of was, uh, she got onto us a lot and, um, you know, I was always fearful of my mom. Uh, she had suffered from depression for a long time and that was kind of difficult, but everything else, you know, it was, you know, family life. Was that something that you were aware of at the time or is that something that you kind of recognized reflecting back? I don't think as a kid I quite understood what it was. Um, I just, you know, like everybody else, that's just how my parents are. And, you know, that's probably how everybody else's parents are. So at what point did things start to change in your life? I think things changed for me right around um, middle school, going into high school, uh, you know, everything was good. I was staying out of trouble. I was doing the right things in middle school. Making good grades. Making good grades. You know, pretty popular with uh, the, my school at the time. And I moved back to Florida ninth grade. So what, at what age did you move away and where did you move to? Uh, when I was eight, I moved to Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Big change coming out of Central Florida. Big change, big change. To the cold. frozen tundra of cold, Green cold, Bay, cold. Wisconsin. And uh, I assume, based off of where you're from, you're a Bucks fan. Uh, Tampa actu Bay Bucks. Actually, I, I grew up a Packers fan. Okay. And to move to Green Bay, it was just like... A dream. It was a dream. Okay. Right. Uh, then getting up there, it, it became a different story because that's all it was about. Because I remember when, growing up in Tampa, man, back then, like, the Packers were, like, an enemy coming out of the NFC Central. And, like, I don't know. We weren't that good back back in my day. but Back in the orange day. The orange creamsicle days. <laughs> but, I, yeah, that's, that's so you moved to Green Bay, eight years old, and moved back to – how long were you there? What was that like? Yeah, I was in Green Bay until – after eighth grade, I made it all the way through, you know, moved around a little bit while I was up in Green Bay to different school districts and stuff like that. But I had established, you know, a life that was pretty, pretty amazing. Like uh, I was well liked um, into sports and uh, life was life was good for me. Cool. And so you move you move back to Florida. Yeah, I moved back to Florida my ninth grade year. It was kind of a struggle for me at that time. Um, it was not a decision that I really wanted to uh, do, but I had, you know, I didn't have a choice. And when did when did things kind of start to to change for you? When did you start maybe experimenting or hanging out with the wrong crowd? It was yeah. It was actually after my ninth grade year. That summer, I had. Um, we had planned to move back to Wisconsin, and before I went there, I s stopped in Chicago where my cousin stayed and, you know, started picking up marijuana um, for the three weeks that I was there. You know, we 
you know, we're using marijuana on a regular basis. And after that, I moved to Green Bay and um, I had put the marijuana thing behind me. It was just something that I tried and that was that for the time being. So it didn't really affect a whole lot of like your social skills or your education. You're still able to maintain your grades at that time. And... Uh, right. Well, then whenever I began my sophomore year, the crowd that I uh, mingled with was a couple people that I knew from before. And they had started using uh, marijuana mainly. Um, so I, you know, kind of blended in with that crowd and started uh you know, smoking marijuana with them uh, on a regular basis, and grades started to plummet after that. Did your family notice a change at all, or did they, like, ever address it or bring it up with you at that time? Oh, yeah. The first time first time I came home high, my mom knew right off the bat. She, uh, there was no hiding it. I was, you know, munching out, and she's like, what are you doing? Yeah. I don't want to plug in right there. Every time that we've had, we've talked about um, when we go down that road of substance use, I just want to share with everybody that marijuana is where it starts. Almost yeah. every time, almost every time, marijuana is where it starts. And I just want to want to share with you, like, whenever your mom fi- found out or knew, knew that you were using marijuana, how did you, how did she respond to you and how did you respond to what she said to you? Yeah, that was actually kind of crazy because my mom... She was always the type, you know, you can tell me anything, you can come to me with anything. So I believed it, you know. And then when she, you know, told me that, she's like, you could tell me the truth because at first I denied it. You could tell me the truth. And as soon as I told her, it was just like, what were you thinking? What are you doing? Just coming down on me real hard. And uh, it kind of shook me up a bit. And that's kind of whenever I kept on rebelling. Um, instead of maybe listening to what she had to say, you know. So if she'd approach you differently, do you think now looking back, like, do you have kids? Uh, I don't have. Um, yeah, I take care of uh, a little three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like a father to her, so yeah. So now looking back on that, how would you approach the three-year-old? Who is that to you? Um, that's my girlfriend's kid. Okay. Uh, we've been together for about a year and um i'm all she knows right so now i know you only know what you know until you you learn something different so now looking back on what your mom how she responded to you how would you do it differently if you responded to your girlfriend you're you're yeah probably um i i would see where things uh went wrong like how can i better support you um where did things go wrong because you went from being such a good kid into sports and you know liked by many people to you know beginning use of a substance that you know could very well i'm not going to say it's a gateway drug but could very well lead into further you know damage down the line and further use why don't you want to say it's a gateway drug i just i i'm not uh gonna jump on the bandwagon with the whole gateway theory i I because to me it's going to be different for everybody. It could be alcohol for one, it could be cigarettes for another, it could be marijuana, but it opens that lifestyle. So in a sense, yes, but it's hard for me to <laughs> it's hard for me to agree with that. From, it's hard for you to agree with that, but I hear you saying that that's what it is. <laughs> I just feel personally had I never had to uh 
while I was using marijuana, if I did not feel the need that I had to stop smoking marijuana, I probably wouldn't have went on to further substances, but we can get into that. From my experience and... Hang on, hang on. So what I hear you saying is, if you you hadn't had to quit smoking, you didn't have to stop smoking marijuana, you wouldn't have rebelled and moved on to other... Is that what I hear you saying? I think so, but I will say this. I know marijuana tends, after a long period of use, marijuana does tend to uh, cause some depression, anxiety in a lot of individuals, and that's uh, what happened with me because before I was smoking marijuana, I, I wasn't a depressed kid. You know, I Everything was uh, A-OK. I was just doing it for fun, but whenever I had that long period of use and then got to a point where I needed to quit, I became very depressed because I was dependent on marijuana. Mm-hmm. Because of the approach by the parents, I think that from my personal experience at home and then others that I've been in contact with, I think that that interaction, that initial interaction when like the parent finds out the kid smoking weed at home, it could go one of two ways, right? The parents either going to feel almost like a failure, like they, you know, and and then resist and you know put blame and stuff like that or they're going to be the cool parent and be like here let's you know hang out and burn one down together yeah i think and you know i i think that whatever a- we when things like that happen what are both those examples that you gave like as far as like i'm gonna be the cool parent and burn one with you or i'm gonna just you know go crazy i'm gonna uh-huh. go you know start go wild on you and 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 chastise you and just beat you down for doing that i think uh in both sense you know in both instances your change your circumstances and and the things that you're going through change who you are and i know for me like in and my with my nieces and nephews they're already smoking mm-hmm. they already told me mm-hmm. okay so i got so before i even approach them i gotta i gotta come with them come to them as from a place of love mm-hmm. like this is what happened to me. I'm not yeah. telling you what to do because you, you know they already know. They, I mean, they know everything. So I know that. Um, I just, I just got to witness to them and say, you know, why, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, is what's going on with you? Yeah. I see you. What, what's up with you? I think there's totally a happy medium between those two examples, and as far as how you, how you approach them and stuff. And in future episodes, we'll totally get into this with, uh, with some of the guests that we have lined up for the future. She, she reprimanded you. You quit smoking. You rebelled. I, at the time, I I didn't quit smoking. Okay. She reprimanded yeah, you and she, wanted you to quit. She reprimanded me, wanted me to quit. But what she was asking me to do at that time, in my mind, was you're you're taking me away from my friends because that's what she was gonna do. She's like, you can't hang out with your friends anymore. I'm not taking you anywhere. You're not allowed to do anything. And I took that more of a more as a blow than you know, the actual smoke and the marijuana. So what was it about this group of friends that attracted mm-hmm. you? Uh, they were very, as, a, as opposed to like the dudes on the basketball court that you said you played ball, right? As opposed to the dudes on the baseball field. Like what was it about these, this crew? Well, from moving around and I'm glad you brought that up because moving around, what I found is that it was easy to go with that crowd. It was easy to be accepted by that crowd. It was easy for me mm-hmm. to do that 
all the other crowds, you had to, you had to put in work. You had to show them, hey, you know, I'm just as good as you at basketball, or I have the same interests as you. And really, at the time after I had stopped playing sports, I had no interest, and that just became the common denominator. So when did your substance use start affecting you on the baseball field, and you know, in in your sports? Uh that never those two worlds never uh coincided because before i quit sports around eighth grade um and then ninth grade i went through the whole year i played spring football and then that was it ninth grade year so after my ninth grade year is when i began use so they just kind of never coincided um was it because of your use? Yeah, do you think it was influenced? That decision was influenced by it? Uh, very well, but I was always uh, kind of fearful that, of not making the team. Fear of failure. Fear of failure. Uh, I was afraid that I might not make the team, that I might not cut it, that I might not fit in, this, that, and the other, you know? At what point did, you, did your use kind of escalate from – a recreational smoking out with your boys to potentially other substances or um overusing you know what at what point did that happen yeah it was definitely my sophomore year um I found myself always needing to have the marijuana get through the day and then eventually later on in my sophomore year when we didn't have access to marijuana um it was introduced uh Robitussin pills and we would uh, take excessively Robitussin pills, Adderall, stuff like that to feel anything but what normal because I got to a point where I couldn't go to school without using. That's just what I associated my using with. I'm going to use before I go to school, just just like you know any other activity. Uh, were you able to graduate high school? Did you make it? Yeah, it it was it was a rough road for me moving around uh, different uh, school areas. How many we, schools did you go to throughout high school? High school, I went to four schools. Two of those schools were the same school. My ninth grade and twelfth grade year, it was the same school in Florida. You bounced back and forth. Yeah, uh, every year I went because to, of your family moving. Yeah, for, uh, what, for what reason? Um, well, we split apart for a while. Uh, because I wanted, I didn't want to go to uh, Ohio, um, so we went. That's why we went my sophomore year to Green Bay. My my mom, my sister, and me went to Green Bay. My dad stayed in Indiana where he was working, which was right on the border of Ohio. And then after that, after my my substance use kind of uh, escalated, getting in trouble with the law at that age, uh, my mom decided to move us back uh, together to Ohio. The first time you got in trouble with the law was at what age? Uh, 15. 15. And that was in Florida? No, that was Green Bay. Green Bay. Was what happened? Uh, stealing from stores, um, getting into fights. Um, I got a curfew ticket one time. I got a tobacco uh, fine for having a cigar on school campus. You had a few instant yeah. instances up yeah, there in Green Bay. Yeah, about a good four or five instances. And your mom wanted to get you out of there, go back to where she thought was safe, back in Florida, where you guys had kind of grown up right. as young kids. Yeah, back to um, 
Well, at least back together, bring the mm-hmm. family back together. So we spent a year in Ohio, and that's when things kind of were going bad for me. And I told my parents, you guys got to get me out of here. Otherwise, you know, this is going to be kind of bad, a bad situation for me. You kind of saw things going down the wrong path. I did. You at, approached your parents. Yeah. At what age? Uh, 17, uh, my junior year in high school. How did they respond to that? Uh, they took it pretty serious after my junior year. They're like, just get through this year and we'll, we'll get you back down to Florida. Your question before though, the, uh, getting through high school at that point, I was in a dropout prevention program at high school, taking classes online, um, because of, uh, substance use, failing classes, like completely failing classes. Because you didn't care about school. I didn't care about school. Um, and for, actually, for me moving around, I feel like there was a lot of information that I lost mm. in school. That's tough, man. Yeah. That's real tough. There was a lot of information that uh, I might have lost because different schools are on different levels and teaching different things. Did you f- always feel like the new kid or the outcast? Yeah. In these yeah. Schools? Yeah. Uh, going f- and it was, it was crazy. Going from being that popular kid in middle school to going to a school where nobody knows you and then you know I even tried I remember one day at the lunch table I even tried sitting with a group of kids that I thought were cool that I could kick it with I asked them if I could sit down and eat lunch with them and they told me no so you know it was it was kind of rough that year um and the result was you know me not doing well in school and continuing my use and Actually, I started experimenting with other substances that year. Did you finish that last year in Ohio? I did. Um, I got through uh, that year, and then after that year, my parents took what I had to say serious, and we moved back down to Florida my senior year. Has that fear of failing still stuck with you? Oh, yeah, all the time. Uh, I listened to a song a couple years back called a ticky a tickophobia which is the fear fear of failure and uh it's a pretty interesting song um it just talks about fearing failure and so how do you how do you deal with that how do you cope with that how do you attack that now uh i'm currently very goal oriented um where before it wasn't something that uh struck with me um I know now that I have to be very structured, very goal oriented and make little goals to accomplish my bigger goal, long-term goals. Can we hear some of your big goals? Yeah. Right now, uh, one of my big goals is getting through school, um, you know, pursuing a master's in social work. Uh, and another big goal is to actually give back to a community that I used to be a part of. Uh, and that would be the, the inmate population. How how do you want to do that? Like, what kind of impact do you want to make, and how are you going to plan on? I mean, how do you plan on making that? Uh, I really want to open up a facility, if it, it's all at all possible, where I'm helping um, people with records integrate back into society. You know, whether that be finding them jobs, adequate housing, you know, a recovery community. Uh, to where it would reduce recidivism and they don't have to go back to um, they don't have to go back to jail and deal with um, that ongoing cycle of getting out, not having anything to do and going right back into the lifestyle. 
Love it. Love it. Yeah, bro. So what is it about this community? You said you're a part of a part of that. Have yeah. A connection to it. Yes. Um after my senior year graduating, um, I actually did graduate high school uh, on time. My senior year, uh, after my senior year, I got arrested for the first time, possession of marijuana, slap on the wrist, nothing big. Um, and then second time, I got another possession of marijuana, uh, got put on probation for Sa- a year. Same age? Uh, yeah, 18, 18, 19 years old. Um, around that time, my cousin from Chicago that I previously mentioned, he had passed away from cancer at age 19, uh, that I kind of took that a little difficult. Um, and it was around the same time I got put on probation for a year. Um, when you you say you took that difficult, how, how, what do you mean? Well, how did you take that? So, well, I think everything that was going on at the time, it was just like, it was crazy. I kind of had a, I had a, this funny feeling, this calling, uh, telling me that I needed to go visit him a month before he passed away. Um, and that's what happened. And was he diagnosed or was it? Yeah, he was already diagnosed. I had, um, heard that he was doing, uh, kind of bad. He was in the hospital, but then he went back home, um, and he was doing fine, but something was telling me I needed to go see him at that point. And I did. And, uh, yeah, it kind of changed me looking at somebody that close to, uh, you know, death. Especially at that age. At that age, that close to me. And it just, it kind of hit hit a spot in me where, um, and on top of everything else that was happening, my legal troubles, you know, I got put on probation right when I got back from his funeral. So would you, you would consider that a pretty pivotal point yeah, in your story. That was the most pivotal point. And then, uh, knowing that I'm on probation, that I need to stop smoking marijuana, this, it was an everyday thing for me. I needed the marijuana to get through the day to do any activity, anything. Uh, and knowing that I had to stop using and trying to stop using was a challenge for me. And that led into use of harder drugs. In, a, in an attempt to stop smoking... Yeah, it's um, kind of uh, a crazy thing. An attempt to stop smoking, I was introduced to a Steady Connect for cocaine. And, you know, how it was introduced to me was, hey, this will stay in your system three to five days. Um, yeah, if you use it maybe once or twice, but, you know, not to the extent that I was using it. So is it still safe to say that marijuana is not a gateway drug? <laughs> <laughs> I used I used to not believe it either, man. Yeah. But now I mean, it's just like anytime you hear somebody talk about their story, like, well, you know, and I think the percentage is high. Like, what did you get started on? Oh, I started smoking a little bit of weed. You know what I mean? Like every time it seems like. Yeah, I mean, and it it very well could be. I'm just I'm having a hard time getting to that point. It's definitely, I, th- I it's think we're working towards it yeah. by the end of the show. But yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a, a common theme in every story. Yeah, for know? sure. It's definitely a common theme it's it in is. every story. So I, it I've is. got, I've got, a, I've got a great question. Your cousin dying was it? Your cousin, you said. Yeah. How do you deal nowadays? How do you deal with catastrophic events and moving forward? 
how are you going to deal with them differently so you don't go back have a return to use yeah that's that's uh going to be one of my biggest challenges um i know i don't do well with people passing um that are close to me the only way that i know how to deal with it is to talk about it to get with somebody that can support me in um, not only my recovery, but in my grief at that period of time, whether that be going to see a counselor, talking to my girlfriend, um, or talking to another close relative, because um, those have always been challenging for me, um, watching people go. Were you able to successfully complete the terms of this probation that you were yeah, yeah, I actually completed probation uh, despite the fact that both my urinalysis that I had to take two, uh, two urinalysis 30 days apart actually came up uh, ghost line for marijuana, and then the second one came up ghost line for marijuana and cocaine. They still went ahead and passed me through the system. So no repercussions? Absolutely no repercussions other than the money paid and the— uh, the forced uh, NA meetings, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And attending those forced treatment, forced groups, you didn't really didn't really resonate with you, it, or were you even intentional with it? Did you even, or did you just go to fulfill your obligations? I just went to fulfill my obligations, which you know that's probably on me. Um, I, and I still in my recovery now. Uh, I want to say that NA meetings are just not my style. Um, I know that works for a lot of people, um, and I'm not going to sit here and say anything bad about NA because it does work for a lot of people, and it was working for me at one point in time. Um, It's just not something that resonates with me, and at that time I wasn't uh, putting in the effort to find recovery. So after your probation officer signed you off and you're off the hook on those charges, what— what what happened next in your life? Um, for a while, I was I was good. Um, I actually started selling weed because I was at the point where, you know, why be spending money whenever I could be making money and still using my substances at the same time? Um, the cocaine use kind of went away for a while, uh, but then kind of came back uh, after that. Did you have any other run-ins with the law after that? Um, not for a while. It uh, actually wasn't something that came up for a while. I got pulled over quite quite often, but it's not something that um, happened for me for a while. I was in the clear for quite some time. So you're able to just kind of like relax and continue your use and not, not really have any, like you didn't face any any um repercussions from your actions before so you didn't even like at that time probably even see it as a problem you were just still kind of going along yeah i didn't i didn't see it as a problem but I, i soon came to realize that i had a problem because it became more uh cocaine use after a while and less marijuana use and that led me into a pretty dark point of time in my life what happened uh there was um a night where uh 
I was trying to go to sleep. I had to work the next day, and um, I had used quite a bit of um, the Coke, drank uh, quite a bit of beer to try to counter the effects, and something was just telling me that I didn't want to be here anymore, and, you know, I had made an attempt to end my life at that point, um, at which time, you know, my parents kind of uh, fought with me and struggled over um, that situation and got me, uh, I was Baker acted and put into treatment for three days, and after that, you know, things just kind of went back to where they were. I kept kept using. I couldn't get away from it. Well, how did you try to and how did you try to commit suicide? Um, at first I went into my parents' room and tried to get the shotgun, but they they had woke up and uh they're like, "What are you doing?" and they wrestled that uh away from me. And so I went into the kitchen, grabbed the biggest knife I could and tried to um I put it to my throat and I didn't really cut deep enough the second time I went back. You know, my mom kind of tackled me to the ground, and uh, both my mom and my dad wrestled the the knife away and uh, called my girlfriend at the time. I called the police, and uh, they came and got me. That was a very low point. Looking back on that, like, who was you hanging out with? What was your girlfriend like? What was yeah. your surroundings like? <laughs> yeah. Um, geez. Uh, the girl that I was with at the time, she was very, she wasn't good for me at all. I don't know why I stuck around. Um, I was very insecure about myself at the time um, because of the things that she was doing to me. You know, uh, one of those things where somebody tells you that they love you and then they want to go behind your back and cheat on you every chance they get. And it was just a very low point in my life. Um, a lot of that was caused by my relationship that I had with her. Um, have the, you forgiven her? Yes, I, I have, uh, forgiven her, um, forgiven, um, almost forgotten, but it's still back there just, you know, for future reference, uh, so I don't go back down that road again. It always goes back to the environment, man. Always does. Yeah. What, uh, after you were Baker acted, left the hospital, was there any type of... Is that, like, involuntary committed? Yeah, yeah, that's IBC. Okay. Down in Florida, for those yeah. who don't know, down in Florida, they they call it a Baker Act. And it's okay. Like, it's same, same thing as a IBC, right. so... What, was there any types of counseling sought out by your parents, or did you... Um, attempt anything to kind of resolve some of these issues? Yes. Uh, at that point in time, I had been telling my parents, like, look, I have a problem. Um, and and the, were you referring to the, the substance use or were you referring to just no, I, depression? I, and I, I felt at the time, and it may very well have been attributable to the substances, mm -hmm. I thought at the time, no, I have uh, some mental issues going on. Okay. And um, – they wanted to say, no, it's substance. Even whenever I was Baker acted or IBC, um, the psychiatrist there said, you have a, you have a drug problem. You don't have anything wrong with your, your mental stability. And that really, um, set me off because I knew that was not accurate. So you knew something was going on and they were all blaming the, the substances. 
did you did the thought of stopping use and kind of entering recovery cross your mind or did you still want to continue use and try to work on these mental health problems you were suffering i think at that point in time i just wanted the the mental uh thoughts that i was having to go away so anything that would take that away whether that be momentarily is what i was at recovery didn't really cross my mind at the time yeah i guess what i was what i was trying to say is like were you willing to stop um were you willing to try to stop i think i would have been willing uh to um if i was offered or uh an alternative uh, by giving me some kind of medication to kind of counteract the the thoughts that were coming into my mind, uh, which I did. I um, seeked a psychiatrist. They put me on medication, um, and it kind of worked momentarily. But uh, yeah, why? Why did it just work momentarily? Ah. Uh, I don't know if it was the right medication for me. Um, and, you know, it's my environment. I Like you guys were saying before, you know. Uh, yeah, yes, right. my, my mental stability had everything to do with my environment that was uh, happening around me. And um, feeling like my life was falling apart. I had no purpose. I had no meaning. Um, you know, but it was shortly after that to where I started looking into recovery um and how i did that was i was wanting because at that point in time i really didn't care about life um so what i wanted to do with my life was go into the military and get away um so i tried to get into the military um the navy wouldn't accept me the air force wouldn't accept me so i uh, went to the Marines, and they were willing to work with me. What? You're yeah. just not telling us this? Yeah. Appreciate your service. Well, I, d- I didn't actually serve. I didn't actually serve. What? Yeah. The, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so that's what I wanted. Pork chop. That's what I wanted to do was um, go into the military. I was uh, sober for nine months during that period of time. I was running every day, working out. Uh, really focused on getting into the military. Uh, it took so long for them to uh, waive my charges that I had. And mind you, they were just—they were just marijuana. the uh, two possession of marijuana charges did at the, that time. Did the Baker Act have any influence on that? Or? No, they—they no? okay. they didn't um, know about that at the time. Um, so yeah, I—I I had taken the ASVAB and everything. The only thing that I needed to do was take a physical and have them, you know, accept me into the the military. But it took so long. It was nine months, and you know, during that time, I went to a party, and it—that was that. What happened at the What happened at the party? Uh, people were trying something it was ecstasy and i had never tried that before um i wasn't going to i was still focused on you know the military but everybody in the house was you know jacked up on ecstasy and from what it looked to me i was like wow like man they're having a great time i don't want some uh so i ended up using that night and that 
from that moment on it you know i had a steady connect with uh ecstasy and then from the ecstasy it went back into i actually started at, at that point using coke again um and then on to methamphetamines how long ago so how old are you how long ago was this that we're this point that we're at in your life that you're talking about how long ago was that uh that was probably around the age of 20 years old i'm 29 now uh 20 21 around that age now i heard i keep hearing you talk about your mom and dad where how is your relationship with them at this point and how are they responding to this destruction that they see in you uh, they kind of laid idly by, you know, at points of times, uh, I think they were afraid of um, what I was kind of capable of. Um, after, you know, making the attempt on my life, they just wanted me to get help, but they didn't know how to help me. Right. Um, so, and then they kept on trying to say, how you doing? You know, do you need help? But it was never a thing of you know, stop. Um, as long as you get how my, my dad works, as long as you're taking care of your responsibilities, you know, he didn't really ever say anything to me, um, until things started to take a turn for the worse. At what point did things escalate? Uh, things probably escalated. Um, I got with a, an, another a female after that one relationship, and things were going uh, pretty good. She was talking about wanting to get married. We were talking about buying a house, and um, that only lasted like eight months, and she broke up with me the day after Christmas, and I started hanging around uh, my brother who was using methamphetamines, and that became an everyday thing. Uh, it was tax time. I had a little bit of cash in my pocket, and uh, it was an everyday thing for a good bit of time. How were you able to sustain that type of behavior? Like, were you, did you hold a job? Uh, you... Yeah, I was, I was holding a job, but on the side, I was actually uh, selling um, some Roxy's on the side. Uh, and I had introduced my guy to my brother um, at the time when I was, to back up a little bit, I was in that relationship that kind of went sour because I had been selling pills while I was with her and her dad was a, her stepdad at the time was a Lake County Sheriff and she didn't want that coming back on her. And, um, and I, the amount of pills that I was selling was quite, quite a bit. Essentially what you're saying is that the relationship ended because not just of your use, but yeah. because of your distribution. Yeah as well she didn't want that in her environment yeah she didn't want that uh in her environment around her kid but at the point of time i and you weren't willing was to she stop. using with you no she she was drinking at that point of time we we were drinking quite a bit um but she hadn't uh she wasn't using she was just drinking she drank pretty heavily so when she broke up with you the day after christmas how'd that affect you uh, that was that was um, a tremendous blow to me. Um, I took that very very hard because I, it was unexpected to me. Obviously Blind, not blindsided. Yeah, obviously not to her. You know, I had paid all of her December rent. I had 
you know, help buy her kid a Christmas and for her to do that the day after Christmas. Not only that, I was living with her at the time and me having to move my stuff out. It was just, it was a, it was a major blow. And how'd you respond? What'd you do next? Like you obviously moved out of there. Yeah, I moved out, went back to my parents. Um, but I was mainly at my brother's house, uh, the whole time. Um, and he was, you know, selling pills as well. Um, I was selling pills to just one person in bulk amounts. He was selling pills to whoever wanted to come up and get them. And uh, eventually that led him to go to, to prison. But What was y'all's relationship like, you and your brother? Uh, while we were using it, was, it was good. It, we were cool. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, there's no relationship with my brother at all. Like, I... I grew up around him a very short period of time. He was using ever since I was little, and um, unless I'm using, I don't have a relationship with my brother. That's tough. When was your next interaction with the law, or what kind of influenced you to pursue recovery? Um, yeah, through my um, methamphetamine use, you know, that was a long battle, but I went to jail um, several times during that extended period of about four years. And that last time in jail is whenever recovery really um, had been a site that I was willing to pursue, even though I may not have quite identified or understood recovery. Um, that's where it started that last time in Orange County jail in Orlando. How long were you in in there for? That last time was 110 days. I had did about a year split up, uh, before that. And, um, but it was 110 days. Um, in the prior sentencing for the year that was split up with, there was no, uh, insight into stopping use or insight into, pursuing recovery it was just kind of like do my time and get out of there right while I was in there I kept telling myself you know I'm gonna do better I kept telling my parents I'm gonna do better but you know uh when I got out it was just like a matter of time before I went back why do you think that was I wasn't I wasn't ready yeah I wasn't that I mean what was different this last time this last time uh was different um, for one, whenever I got stopped, um, um, I was tased by the police and that kind of had a major role in everything. I was at that point where I was like, you know, this isn't what I want with my life. This isn't what I expected my life to be. And I was at that point willing to pursue, you know, staying in a state of mind where I was you know, away from the substances. And after that period of time, my parents moved me up here. Um, and that's where I started my recovery venture. So your, your recovery started in jail. Yeah. What, what did it look like initially while you were locked up? And then um, what was that moment of recognition like where you actually made the decision, like, I'm changing my life today? Yeah, uh, that moment came... Probably um, about a week or two while sitting in jail and 
something just hit me while uh, in visitation with my parents and the look on their face, they were like totally drained with, um, it seemed like they didn't know what to do with me anymore. And that was so powerful to me. You had about two weeks to kind of detox back while you were locked up. And then you had a visit from your parents and you started feeling the effects of your behaviors on the rest of your family. Do you you think it was your parents drained or do you think it was you drained and you finally seen what you was doing to your parents? Yeah. Um, I think it, it was both. Um, my, my parents were exhausted with options of what to do because I could see it in their eyes. Um, they're hurt for me. Uh, it was real. It was something that um, I will never, that image will never, you know, escape my mind. It'll always be with me as, um, you know, that point of time where I was the lowest of the low but at the same time, it was a shift in my life to where I could start, you know, taking that because they had lost all hope in me. They're like, you know, how do we know you're not just going to get out and, you know, go back to using? And I also took that as motivation. Um, I heard you guys mention on previous shows talking about naysayers. Um, I took I take that as motivation. How much time did you do in jail after you made that decision that this was it? And then, like, what action did you take while you were in there? Um, I know my boy over here was, like, went all vegan and, and stuff in <laughs> Cherokee County Jail. Swain County. Swain County Swain Jail. County. Yeah, we're going to get kosher diet. Kosher diet. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, uh, what did you do? What did, what did recovery look like in, what did you say, Orange County Jail? Yeah, it was it was Orange County, uh, old 33rd. Um, yeah, what that looked like for me, you know, after that two-week period, I had another um, at least 90 days to go. And there was a life skills program um, that I wanted to get into, and I had originally signed up for it. Um, and in between that time, you, I mean, you guys have experienced jail, you know, that lifestyle. Um, not that I wanted to be that person, but um, I got into a fight, went to the went to solitary confinement. And then after I got out of solitary confinement, I, w- I signed up for the program again. And complete, I was able to complete that program before I left. And um, a guy by the name of Mr. Chevalon, at the uh, he was a young guy. Um, he was from Haiti, and he had a lot of interesting life experiences. Um, and he was the first to really open my eyes to a lot of things, um, to start living my life in a, in a more productive manner. And, um, what was it about him? Like, how did he carry himself? What did oh he my say? God. Come on. This cat, he would come in dressed fly to the T, like top hat, uh, just button down. Just rolling into the Orange yeah. County Jail. And flashy too, like orange yeah. suits, white suits, red suits, you name it. He would just, I mean, it was just, it was unreal. And the way he would talk, it, it's like you would think people wouldn't listen to him just by how young he is but 
that's not the case. That's awesome, brother. Have you had a chance to make contact with him since you've been up here? I have not. And, you know, now that I've come on this show and I was thinking back on, you know, some of my life experiences, uh, it's something that I want to get yeah. in touch with him and to let him know, hey, I'm doing all right. It's hard for me to find him on uh, social media or um, I looked for him online the past couple mm -hmm. of days. I can't find him. Uh, you know, organization he was working for that i don't know i have a certificate it's at my house i gotta yeah. i gotta look it up i'm definitely gonna get in contact with him at some point yeah. soon to let him know hey you know you've been an inspiration to me it's amazing how like just somebody's presence can influence you oftentimes they don't even like realize it um and how we kind of like suppress these memories until we like intentionally focus and relive that story i felt very similar to what you just shared with the officer that arrested me the last time um which i might talk about a little bit more at a later time but like he his words on the way to jail at the time i would i didn't want to hear him i was my behavior was completely uncalled for, and I did some things that I will not share on this program. What? Uh, I, come on, word, we're all yeah, now. Words yeah. can't. Uh, yeah, maybe one day, but he, whatever I said didn't didn't um, didn't phase this dude, you know. And he just continued to say, like, "Hey, man, I, I might have saved your life tonight. You know, you're a good dude. You can you can get yourself out of this." And I was just like, "Nah, dude, you ruined my life. I'm never gonna drive again. F you, all this stuff." And like, just. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally not NC raw raw, but it's definitely doing uh behaving in an uncalled for manner. And like I deserve to to be treated um not in the way that he did. So like and I've I've also often thought, like reflecting back on my story, like I need to get a hold of this dude. I need to write him a letter and thank him for um the things that he did for me. So I could totally, totally relate to that. You so, deserve to be treated like Rodney King. I deserve to be treated like Rodney <laughs> King that day. There is no doubt about it. But instead, you got powerful inspiration. Yeah, yeah. powerful inspiration that I didn't even recognize at the time, but it hit me, you know, months after. I, w I want to back up and touch on what you what you were saying when you were talking about uh, when you tried to take your own life. I I, I know that we're going to have people listening that experiencing the same things, the depression, anxiety, et cetera. So what would you tell those people listening right now that's thinking the same thing. That's in a, it's in a, a dark place. Uh, life's life's not over at that point in time. Whenever you think you've exhausted all your options, when you think that you've gotten to your bottom, the bottom of the bottom, when you hit rock bottom, uh, life's not over. And what I tell clients at my job all the time is. The things that you experience when you're at your lowest of low, if you get through that and if you can overcome that, you're much stronger of a person than you were before. And you can overcome the most heinous of things that might come your way in life. You know, you're you're just a strong individual. You have meaning. You have purpose. Um, and the things that you can accomplish in life from that are you know many beautifully said brother beautifully said we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back i want to find out 
how we can do that and how you, what your recovery looks like uh, on a daily basis, what all the amazing things you're doing um, on the job, in the classroom, the lives that you're affecting. The NC Raw family would love to hear from our listeners. We want to recognize you guys. If anybody is making music in the local Western North Carolina community, please submit your work through our website or through our Facebook page. We definitely want to recognize you guys. Um, We talk all the time about finding your path to recovery, right? And for so many people, it's, um, it's music or art or whatever it is. We want to recognize you guys for your work. So send it in. We want to share, share your message and share what you guys are doing. During this break, we are going to play a track from my man, Logan Bruce, who is a man in long-term recovery out of Amherst, Ohio. He's been in recovery for about a year and a half, and he's using music to show people that they can chase their dreams while in recovery. This is a song that he wrote after his fifth stay in a treatment facility after, re- after returning to use uh, for a period of six months in recovery, returning to use for the fifth time and finding himself in a treatment center. He wrote this song um, from the perspective of his father, of his father writing a letter to him while in the treatment center. The title of the song is called Shallow Waves by Logan Bruce. Don't let these shallow little waves take you away. It's not an impossible thing, some behave. Me and your mother know that you're so afraid, just be brave. We didn't raise you to be what you became, don't seal your fate. Just come back to life, Logan, we know you're tired and broken, but we still love you, dear. It just hurts us to see it the way you're stranded and bleeding But son, stop those tears And have no fear Just sing your heart out Sing your heart out Sing your heart out and don't let these shallow little waves take you away don't let the shadows of the day bring you rain there's just so much more in life to gain You'll be great You and your brother and your childhood games We miss those days Those times ended with the first day you drank How you've changed Your mother cries at night and her heart aches She hopes you're safe 
I wrote this letter so you don't go astray. Don't be ashamed. Just come back to life, Logan. We know you're tired and broken, but we still love you, dear. It just hurts us to see it the way you're stranded and bleeding, but son, stop those tears. Have no fear. Just sing your heart out. Sing your heart out. Sing your heart out. And don't let these shallow little veins take you Dad, I'm sorry, but I had no choice. Turned it all in, cause I heard a voice saying, Take one drink, it'll stop the noise. Had one sip, and the demons rejoiced. All I ever wanted was to make you proud, but the whispering got just too damn loud. Climbed to the top, then I fall down to the bottle. Back, don't make a sound. Burns my soul like a red hot flame. No, let you down, and you're so ashamed. Can't turn back, my mom too afraid, cause I'm lost at sea in these giant waves. Just come back to life, Logan. We know you're tired and broken, but we still love you, dear. It just hurts us to see it the way you're stranded and bleeding, but son, stop those tears and have no fear. Just sing your heart out. Welcome back to NC Raw. We're going to continue the conversation with our special guest, Mr. Dustin Roach. Roach or like Roche? Yeah, Roche. Yeah, Roche. yeah. Roche. Roche. <laughs> Appreciate you opening up to us on the first part of the show and sharing your your experience with us. I think now it's time to kind of dive into recovery and what your recovery looks like title of our show is recovery always we recognize and respect that there are so many avenues and so many approaches to recovery and we support them all by the way that nc raw supports them all it is in our name we don't have a choice (laughs) well we still do but we're not gonna be hypocrites on the show for sure if you are in recovery you are welcome to this table to have this conversation. So we left off. You kind of had um, that moment of realization where you were ready to ready to hang it up and ready to change your life in, while you were during your stay at Orange County Jail. And you kind of shared what that looked like while you were in jail. What What happened when you when you left there what what was the next step in your journey 
the next step in my journey was I wanted to go back to school. Um, at, when did you have that that idea? I had that has kind of always been on the back of my mind throughout my uh, my ventures. It just never manifested into reality until you know I moved up here after getting out of jail um, around September of 2015 and so when I got up here you know the first order of business was to get a job uh, to keep myself occupied and get a little money and um, then I went and started scoping out some schools. How long after you were released did you move? Uh, It was a week after I was released. I'm with you man. Yeah. I'm with you. Similar story. I got out of treatment, and two weeks later, I was here in the mountains from from Florida as well. So, yeah, you mentioned your first order of business was to find a job. Yeah, that was uh, the first order of business. What I did with my recovery, what I knew I had to do was life is still going to stress me out. Yeah. Um, so I had to slowly incorporate the things that stress me out back into my life. And the first thing that I decided to do was the, incorporate the job back into my life so I can kind of maintain that and get some money behind me so I can start accumulating some of the things that I lost. Did you find it challenging being a convicted felon? I want to plug in right here. Come on. Are you a convicted felon or have you been convicted of a felony? Yes, I— Boom. I have been convicted of three felonies. Uh, those are on my record. And as far as Florida statute goes, those aren't anything that I can get expunged here in the near future um, as far as the law goes. Did it affect your job pursuit? Oh, yes. Um, I've been turned down by uh, many jobs. Up here, I actually was turned down by one job in particular, Um Actually, here at the college, uh, I was going to work at the food court. Um, had a interview and everything. They wanted me to start working. They're like, all right, well, all we have to do is a background check. And I was like, yeah, about that. Um, that's probably not going to uh, come back looking any good at all. Um, and from that, they sent me my record in the mail saying, this is why we aren't going to hire you. But I didn't, you know, I took it a little bit to heart, but I didn't take it too personal. So not only did they not hire you, but they sent you a piece of paper to remind you why they didn't hire you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was kind of a point where I was like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt for one, but it's going to. Uh, kind of be a, a venture. Like, what do I do from here? Where do I go? All I had was restaurant experience. Where do I go? Without disclosing the name of this business, where did you land a job? What kind of industry? What were you doing? Yeah, I, I landed in uh, the fast food industry. Um, and slowly, within about six months, I moved up to management. Um, so that was something that I held as a pretty good accomplishment, a, a, pr- a prideful moment. Yeah, it was, uh, definitely the, the first of many prideful moments in my early recovery at that time. We always talk about like finding that meaning and giving us that purpose back. And, uh, I'm sure you consider yourself a leader and by receiving that promotion, 
definitely influenced your recovery in a positive way. Yeah, it it did um, because you know always in the back of my mind I keep that uh, record um, with me and try to not let that define me as a person define you know my future. Obviously, with the way things are set up currently, things are set up to where a lot of um, convicted felons are having a hard time finding adequate employment. I want to plug in again out here and just and dive a little bit deeper. And Richie was your peer support trainer. Yes. So with that being said, <clears throat> we or others that have been convicted of a felony I just want to share that you're not a convicted felon. You're not a felon. That you've been you've experienced being convicted of a felony, but that doesn't define who you are. And I just want to share that today that you're so much more than that. And you don't have to, you know, place that stigma related label on yourself and just let that, you know, keep you in chains. Yeah, that's I I I like what you're I'm picking up what you're putting down. Awesome. What was the next step in your recovery process? You were, so you, I assume you're working a 40 hour work week. Yeah, 40, uh, 50, sometimes okay. 60. Um, what, what, was, what was in your life at that time? What, did you, what were your hobbies? What? Um, mainly just, uh, you know, playing video games uh, on my downtime. Um, I didn't really go out much and hang out. You know, I like to get out and go to um, different swimming holes in the area. Um, stuff like that. I went hiking a few times, but um, it's it's been a while since I've went hiking. But. Did you still have that thought of pursuing school in the back of your mind, or where did that play yeah, in this that, entire? Yeah, that was always um, my goal. I had one of the first things uh, that I did after I got a job was um, started calling around uh, to different colleges. Um, the one closest to me didn't have the program I was searching for. I was searching for substance abuse, uh, counseling or something along the lines of that. Um, so what was it about that, the field that attracted you? Um, for one, it was a field that I've, I felt I already had experience in and I wanted to, give that experience to somebody else um, to let them know that, you know, you're not alone in this situation. And from my own experience with dealing with professionals in my life, I felt as if they didn't fully understand what I was going through. Not to say that there aren't professionals out there that haven't gone through uh, what we all experience that aren't very phenomenal at their job. I just didn't come across those people and you found the program you were looking for I did yeah I I found at Southwestern Community College um, human services and substance abuse treatment program that they have over there uh, for associates in applied science um, so I pursued that and I had an interview and had to take a personality test and take the aptitude test um, to see if I was able to get in. Was Lori Clancy there? 
Yes, yes. Lori. Shout out to Lori Clancy. Yeah, You're amazing, boy. Lori. Yeah, she is. She is. Um, she is one of the uh, inspirations to my recovery as well. Um, Sarah Altman was in charge of the program at the time. Um, she retired, and shout out to Sarah. Um, also, uh, Nicole Connor. She um, came in, and she's uh, doing pretty good things there at southwestern community college shout out to her as well i, I want to i just want to plug in right now because i don't know if it's the energy drink i don't know if it's the energy <laughs> drink or it's just to hear it's a little bit of both i would say but i just want to say that um <clears throat> hearing you talk about uh your the am i you know you, you okay hang on we back up i want to say hearing you talk about school and 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 just how that was something that, you know, really inspired you to stay into recovery. Um, and just mentioning Lori, I, I had a meeting with Lori a few weeks ago. You did? And we was talking about me going back to school. So I just want to say right now on this show that I want to talk to Lori. I want to get back into school. And I, I think I'm going to pursue uh, some sort of law degree uh -huh. because I, I feel like I was going down this – this avenue where I was wanting to do run for council yeah. in my community. Uh -huh. So I, I can't, I can't do that right now. Yeah. So I, I just want to let you know that you have inspired me just listening to how, you know, how, how much you, that you hold that to your dear to your heart, school and everything. Um, I'm going to want to go back just listen to your story. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. Uh, it's, it, it does wonders, you know, cause it, um, and you'll, you'll definitely see it. Uh, going from a point where, you know, your life was so low to a point where, okay, now I want to accomplish, you know, getting a degree, um, not for anything other than myself. I want to be able to prove that I'm capable of going from, in a sense, rag to riches. And whenever I say rags to riches, I'm not talking poor to rich. I'm talking about you know, rock bottom to, you know, being somebody. I just got to say, man, this dude is an amazing student. Like, you talk about holding holding things to the highest standard. Dude takes on any honors project. He, like, literally, he, he makes me feel bad in class. Like, I'm just going through the motions <laughs> when I'm around this dude, man. This dude crushes it in class. And Miss Lori Clancy, I mean, like, you said you met with her prior she will be a future guest on this show um and i think the the because i had a very similar experience with the same college and the same program and the, the beautiful thing about what they do at southwestern community college is that they support us in our in pursuit of our dreams whatever those might be right so you said you had a meeting with her right mm -hmm. and you kind of process through what because she's a licensed counselor and therapist, you process through what your goals were, right? And where you wanted to take your life. I mean, she she is a major player and influence in this program in NC Raw by allowing me to um, take classes that will transfer over into broadcasting and still get my substance abuse degree from the human services program by sitting in her office hours upon hours and like brainstorming like ideas and fundraising opportunities and things like that. And like not, 
as I'm in her program. I'm in her program for um, the human services substance abuse, and she knows that I'm not pursuing that as a career path. And she's working with me on taking this NC Raw in the direction that I see it going. So I think it's just it's a beautiful thing that like our paths crossed. And to hear you talk about it, Dustin, and share like this the same sense of like feelings and experience that I have. And even you and your Caleb and your short experience and short interactions with her. You know, you, we've all received the same level of care uh, from from somebody. She truly is a, a recovery champion. And, and whenever I think about Lori, you know, just just that that meeting I had with her, she really like is a person that literally was lifting me up the whole time like but so supportive of all the things that i was talking about like and just enlightened me on on so many things in such a short amount of time and so i'm really excited to you're talking about she's doing that to like 25 30 students a semester every day over there she is we talk about last episode when richie's talking about recovery allies Mm -hmm. nominating people she's she's the top of my list like i'm throwing her name in the hat right now so Let's let's bring her back in because she will be on the show uh, in the near future to discuss a lot of things recovery. She is one of the main allies in our community. I, I know that she was really touching, and she's like, "You and Richie are the world's worst for not taking self care." Yeah. And she was she was really only about that too. You got to take, you know, because I see how much of influence that you have. But to keep that influence, you got to start taking, you know, just really, you know, cared. I mean, showing that compassion and yep. love. Absolutely. How long? How long? Let me ask you this, Dustin. Did you experience any kind of uh, fear? Because Caleb was asking you questions about fear or failure earlier in the show. Did you experience any fear as going back to school as a 25, six-year-old college student? Out the game for a while, walking back into the classroom. Yeah, there was there was some fear there. There was some. Uh, how did you overcome it? There was self doubt, definitely. And how I overcome that was uh, just waited for my moments. You know, I um, was not let into school right away. They wanted me to wait um, almost a year. I had to wait, and um, just by me getting um, accepted into the school. I know it's a community college. I know it's, um, something that, you know, a lot of people are, you know, accepted in right off the bat. It's not a university, but for me, that was a big deal for me. That was everything for me. And that gave me, uh, the motivation and the drive and the, um, my boy's favorite word. Yeah. Yeah. Pork chops, favorite word. Drive and inspiration. That gave me the drive and inspiration that I needed to, to push forward with what I was planning on doing. Um, and during that first semester, whenever I started seeing, you know, A's on the top of my papers, that to me was like, okay, I can, I can actually do this. I I just want to share just like, so what I've heard in this time that we've sat down here with you is you struggle with substance use. You struggle with various mental health issues. You've struggled with being, you know, experienced being convicted of three felonies. And yet, you here you are, I mean, killing it in school. You're in recovery. You're, I mean, a peer support specialist. So, I just, I mean, 
I just want to shake your hand. You're awesome, man. You're amazing. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's it, it's unreal uh, what recovery has done for my mm-hmm. life. It is unreal. Um, and I, I know that you're doing a lot of amazing things within the period of time that you're in recovery. Uh, I've heard a lot about your story and from previous episodes. Um, and that's what happened with me is recovery. As soon as recovery took a hold of my life, things just started clicking mm-hmm. real fast. It made sense. Yes. And coming together in a way that I had never experienced before. Like some of my most proud moments in my life and my highest accomplishments have come in, have come to me. During my recovery. Let's talk a little bit about those moments that make you proud. Like what if you're, what if, cause you're graduating in next semester. Yeah. December. You're graduating in December. What, what, ha, what have been some of your accomplishments in your year and a half at SCC? Yeah. It's, You've done a lot, bro. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting back and watching it's, you, dude. It's, it's amazing, you know, and I, I get, I kind of get, I catch a little bit of, um, a little bit of, uh, turmoil from it from other students. Like, look at you just, you know, sucking up or whatever. Yeah. But it's, to me, it's, it's, it's about the, the feelings that I get whenever I accomplish, um, you know, made the president's list every semester that I've been there. Boom. Uh, wow. You know, 4.0, grade point average, uh, doing honors projects. Um, just, I mean, taking my school serious. And essentially, I, I'm doing, I went in with the mind frame of do everything the opposite of what you did when you were in high school. Hell yeah. Or just like, you know, um, Plug that same, use that same mentality as when you was using into yeah. recovery, and I mean, yeah, I mean it works wonders. Go right. as like you said on the last episode, as hard as you went in your using, go that much harder in your recovery, and it works. It works. It's magic. And I just want to say to the naysayers because we all have a lot of them, and we love them. R- Richie loves them. Naysayers. We, we do. We do love them, and you know, grace and forgiveness. Um, you offer them a. a- a seat at this table? Absolutely. Come right. up here, you know, and we'll we'll uh we'll definitely welcome you and I just want to say that uh man, you threw me off. Man. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you got to say to the naysayers? Um go ahead. I'll come back to you in a minute. Well, you need to find a place where you left off where it's going to make sense to start back. So yeah. Was there a good space? What did did Eli say before? Yeah, I just want to say to the naysayers that we 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 welcome you at this table, um, and don't don't be bitter in life. You know, just get better. Uh, you can't. You know, those blessings won't come to you if you have that that bitterness about you. You know, and yeah. you're you're worried about your own insecurities and and casting you know those things off on somebody else. Just just get better. You yeah. know what I mean? Just be a wise person and learn from somebody else's choices. And their successes and even their mistakes, you don't have to be bitter. No doubt. This dude holds himself to the highest academic standards of anybody in our program and probably on that campus. Yeah, I think the message that I I want to put across there and as, like I said, uh, from I've heard from previous 
um, shows is that um, don't let your past define who you are as a person um, and anything can happen in your future. I mean, you can turn life around in an instant. You don't have to live by the standards of whatever label has been placed upon you. You don't have to live in that in that world where you're constantly down on yourself. You don't have to do that. Speaking of that, what what after being a student for what about a year, you found a new job, right? Yeah. You got your peer support? Yeah, I uh during my uh, summer, my last summer, I went and did my peer support training. Uh, I had a vacation for my job. It just worked out. Um, did my week of peer support training. And I didn't know if I was going to ever be able to find a job that was going to work around my school schedule. Uh, like my, it's tough, man. Like my fast food job was. Um, and that's whenever I got um, turned on. Uh, by some other students that were in the program uh, to the Balsam Center and said that they were hiring for a peer support specialist. And, you know, I just applied and went in to see what they had to offer, what they had to say, and it just, it worked out. This dude right here, he's a peer support specialist at the Balsam Center. He works 12-hour shifts, right? Goes to school full-time, maintains that 4.0 GPA, president's list, this dude right here works 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. He got off work at 8 o'clock this morning. I made a sleep. Went to school. Took a nap in his yeah, car. Yeah, I, I took a nap in my car. Oh, okay. Dude in got between off, classes. Dude got off work at 8 o'clock in the morning, went to school, went to class, took a couple-hour nap, and then met up with me to come over here and record the show. That's commitment, right? That's dedication. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, yeah. And wow. I guess if that's what you want to call it, some people call it crazy. Some people call it dedicated. That's hold yourself to a high standard, man. I think the ones that call it crazy are just uh, the naysayers. They, they're scared. They're scared of a commitment like <laughs> yeah. that, so they got to call something. Tell yeah. us about what the job's like, man. Like, oh, what do you get from the job? How does that support your recovery? We've obviously heard that your your schooling is a huge part of your recovery. What is the what is the how does the job influence your recovery? Yeah, the job is uh, something amazing. I I I never seen a uh, day towards my future. At looking at my future, I never saw uh, me getting out of the restaurant industry, which completely stressed me out. If anybody knows about working in restaurants or retail in general, it's a stressful job low-paying, stressful job. So whenever I got this job at the Balsam Center and I started um, doing groups uh, by using some of the tools and techniques that I've been learning from Lori Clancy and Nicole Connor through my program, you know, I have seen aha moments in people to where it's those people that have not yet found recovery Um to help them along their path to recovery and tell them like, look, you don't have to continue where you're at and you can actually go out and turn things around and leading kind of by example. Um, I don't want to, you know, I try not to disclose as much because we learn in school about mm -hmm. uh, disclosure of our own personal information, but um, just letting them know that, you know, it is a possibility to, to come from 
uh, place of addiction and, you know, turn your life around. I just want to share that not only is it a possibility, but it does happen. It's a reality that, yeah. I mean, it, it's day in and day out. You, I, you know, you see it every day, so. That's why we're here. That's right. To share that message and bring people to the table like Dustin that can potentially influence somebody who might be struggling and also inspire people who are, you know, taking those steps to keep keep pushing them and keep going. What kind of challenges do you experience on the job? Yeah, I think the most challenging thing on my job is to see um, kind of a revolving door with some people. Um, and I get it because I've been there. I've been that revolving door. I've been through that situation. And I, I don't let that get me down because I've heard a lot of my coworkers, you know, mention and continue to, uh, you know, express that, Oh, you know, just having that negative uh, connotation to them like, oh, you know, they're just never going to get it. They're always going to come through here. And I I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, OK, well, maybe what we tried before didn't sink in and help this individual. What what can I do differently? Mm -hmm. um, because it's not about the per the person failing the treatment it's about the treatment failing the person planting those seeds and then also developing your skills so that you could be more successful with the next client yeah yeah it's um it, you know and it's an amazing thing when somebody comes up to you and says um what you said tonight really inspired me and you know even having clients that you wouldn't think just come to you break down and cry and tell you like they're glad that you um told them things that they needed to hear in that exact moment that's beautiful man that's beautiful how do you uh how do you balance hearing these stories every day on a daily basis and like how do you how do you cope with that and how do you like when you say you leave the job and you have a difficult night right like what's What's your self-care look like and how do you how do you maintain that positive attitude on a daily basis? Well, what I've learned through our program, uh, it's given me a lot of skills to be able to leave work at work. I go through phases, you know, whenever I'm home. Normally, unless I have homework, it's it's about my home life. If I'm at work, it's all about work. If I'm at school, it's about school. Um, and that kind of keeps me, you know, driven to accomplish what it is that I set out to do. Um, but kind of what distresses me is if I do have a little bit of time, which is very seldom, um, I'll get on, you know, PlayStation, play some video games, kind of get my mind in a space where I'm not thinking too hard, but enough to get my mind off of everything else that's going on. Um, get outside, you know, I just got a drone from my, my girlfriend oh, for my birthday <laughs> to play with a drone, you yeah. know, it's always nice to get outside and just, you know, soak up the air, um, and just kind of put myself, a, a lot of times I put myself in thought to where I'm just doing nothing but thinking, um, it's sitting there and thinking and, you know, unraveling things that you know i've been experiencing so 
how do you express yourself like what do you, as far as these thoughts and thinking and stuff that crosses your mind like how do you how do you get it out uh Sometimes it, it could be a little of a bit of a challenge because some of the thoughts that I have, like, eh, no, I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, but that's the difference is you can identify yeah, that. And- yeah, yeah. Um, just thinking through it and trying to come up with a, a way that, you know, as Lori teaches us, you know, give the message or send the message in a way that they will be able to receive it mm-hmm. um, because – Words are everything. Words are powerful. What about yourself? Just like thoughts about yourself or I don't know. You didn't take my bait, man. I was I was trying to get you to talk about writing. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, writing, yeah. I, you know, I every now and then I do um, I do write some poetry. Um, I have I I did a lot of that through my um, my active use uh, in. Whenever I have time, um, my mind kind of goes into space and it just clicks and, you know, I'll think of something and I need to write it down. I got a note uh, taking app on my phone and I'll just jot stuff down and come back to it later and put it together and, you know. Awesome, man. So what's next, man? What's the next step for you? Where are you, where are you, where are you headed? Where are you taking this thing? Yeah, next step is, um, my next step is, uh, you know, graduate from SEC, go to Western, accomplish the masters, um, maybe work in the field for a little bit of time uh, to kind of get a better understanding of, you know, what's being done and where are the gaps and then go in to try to attack those gaps. Um, And like I said before, hopefully open up a facility um, that will help not only, you know, people with criminal records, but people that are, um, at a low point in their life where they feel like there's no hope for the future and giving that hope for the future, because that more than anything is giving a person their life back. No doubt, brother. No doubt. Where would you, uh, where do you see yourself opening this facility? You want to stick around here in Western North Carolina? Yeah, you know, I, I, that is the plan right now is to stay here in Carolina because this is where, although I was born in Florida, this is where I was born in recovery. And um, I feel as if I need to give that back to this community. Uh, you know, mind you, I want, I would like to one day go down to the jails that I was once, you know, a inmate in and be like, listen, you know, I was at this jail before and there is a way out. It is possible um, to make a life change. Um, hopefully some of the same COs that are there that told me, you know, when you, you'll be back, hopefully they'll be there. I, yeah. Hey, I'm back. I'm, <laughs> I'm back to help. <laughs> Tell me what this uh, what this facility that your dream your vision what does it look like? Um, it's it's gonna be uh, kind of set up like a halfway house because I know you've like actually like wrote this yeah. wrote this down and like done papers on it yeah and really yeah it's, in detail it's gonna be um, uh, ran somewhat like a halfway house but there's gonna be um, you know hopefully my vision is to be able to sustain. Um, you know, professionals, social workers, counselors, and things of that nature, um, and have connections in the community with different jobs that are looking for 
employment um, that will hire somebody with a criminal record or that will hire somebody that's brand new in recovery um, and give them their purpose and meaning back and along the lines of where it's a residential facility so it's a safe environment, safe community and uh, have therapeutic sessions and group sessions and fun activities for them to do to where they don't feel like they need to go out into the community and cause havoc. You two need to hook up, man. So I, I was getting ready to say, yeah, I, I see, I see a, um, a partnership on the horizon here for sure. So, yeah. And I, I want to share, you know, imagination is everything. It's the preview to life's coming attractions. And I hear you talking about your schooling, this, this uh, sober living home or halfway house. And, I mean, you're already achieving it, man. You're speaking into existence, and I love that about you. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's wonderful things with uh, the mind, thought, and then words can do. Mm-hmm. How much time? How are we looking on time? We've been going for about 30 minutes? Okay. So what I've just heard over the last, I don't know, hour and a half in this discussion is we went from a somewhat troubled childhood into addiction and addictive behaviors, suffered from some mental health disorders. Now you're a President's List 4.0 college student. You're working in the field, helping individuals on a daily basis, and you're a homeowner? Yeah, yeah. Just recently um, was uh, blessed with the opportunity to um, own my own home. Uh, me and my girlfriend, we uh, moved in together. Um, yeah, it's just, like I said, man, everything just is coming together so fast. It's 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 really unbelievable it's been what two years since you moved here two and a half uh it'll be three years coming up in september yeah accomplished all that in three years yeah yeah it's um it's uh, and i have to attribute it all to my recovery to um what recovery has um given to me and you know god and just the opportunities that have come my way you know i never thought it would be possible and that's just what I want to shout out to the world that it's it's possible. Was that was was any of those things I just described in your vision when you're sitting in that cell and you had that that moment of recognition and to put the drugs down? Yeah, I, I like. At what time did all these goals come to you? I, 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 the goals were there somewhat, but I never thought it was going to be like this. I didn't. I never thought I would go this hard in the paint. It's it's been something that is uh, <clears throat> unreal, and I've surprised not only myself but you know my family um, and others around me. You mentioned you purchased this home and moved in with your girlfriend. You've kind of 
you're not a father, but you've kind of taken on a father. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm father. I've taken Boom. full responsibility. Uh-huh. She, you know, she, uh, she looks up to me and calls me dad. I'm all that she knows. So yeah. yeah, that's that's my little girl. You know, what's that like, man? Uh, it's it's uh it's different. You know, it's um no longer um about me anymore. It's about um doing the right things uh for this, you know three-year-old precious girl to where she can grow up in an environment and not have to go through the things that we went through, not have to go through um, the struggles and let her know that, Hey, you know, this is what, this is what happened with me. This is where I went wrong. You know, not trying to tell you what to do with your life. You could do what you need to do and what you feel is appropriate. Um, But just, know that there are always those consequences out there for whatever actions you so choose that's beautiful man so amazing to hear that what's your name uh isabella i seen you i've seen you in action with her yeah she's came over here we actually watched the super bowl together over here on campus yeah she's amazing earlier this year she was all over him dude she is amazing. She's uh she's definitely another blessing in my life. Um, she keeps me on track and you know focused on my goals and my future. You ready for me to put you on the spot? Okay, here we go. When's the wedding, man? Oh man! All right, so um, I proposed. <laughs> I actually proposed on Christmas. Um, this past Christmas. This past Christmas. How'd you do it? Um, I put it. She wanted an Apple Watch um, for Christmas, so I. Tried as best I could unwrap the Apple Watch box, and I put the ring in the Apple Watch box. So she got an Apple Watch box, and she thought she was getting a watch. Yeah, she thought she was getting a watch. She's like, "Well, where's the watch?" I was <laughs> <laughs> so she got the ring, and she still expected yeah, the watch. She, she, I was like, "I didn't, I didn't get the watch. I just went to Apple and asked them for the box." <laughs> that's my, that's my man right there. But yeah, then she, then I got, I, I uh, put, took your butt right back to Apple and bought a yeah, watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, let me get this straight. So <laughs> she opened this. Did she? Did you? Okay. How did you ask her as soon as she seen it? I I did. She and she, uh, you know, she started crying. It was it was an emotional moment. She was actually on Facetime with her family, so it was it was kind of a it was a beautiful thing. Um, so we have set a date for one eleven twenty twenty. Cool. Why? Why that date? Uh, I just I, the year twenty twenty is like. Something that seems amazing to me, just like 2020, because it's like 2020 vision, uh, and one 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 2020. It was it was a day that we had to do it for a weekend, um, and that fell on a Saturday. I wanted to do 11 11 2020, but where was it going to be? Uh, we're probably going to do it at her grandparents' house back in Florida. So there's that trip back to Florida that I haven't done yet. So you guys have a connection. She's also from Florida. Yeah, she okay. uh, she she's adopted and uh, she's originally from up here. But when she was adopted, she spent uh, um, most of her life in uh, around Tampa. Word. Yeah. That's that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so she was raised here, went to Florida. You was raised in Florida, come up here, yeah. and, and, and we met, met up here. And formed the alliance. Yes, it's uh, it's unbelievable. 
she's she's uh she's in recovery herself mm-hmm. you know we work together um she probably doesn't uh identify with that as much as i do um but knowing what i know and coming from where i come from you know she she uh means the world to me and you know i mean the world to her and we keep each other going strong one of the coolest things about doing this show and like having these guests on and hearing their stories is that like everybody's story is unique, right? And everybody has their own experiences. Everyone has their own approach to recovery. But as we hear these individuals come on our show and share their story, I see like Caleb perk up when like a similar experience, you know, or I feel it myself. It's like, Oh man, it was just like that for me too, you know? Right. And like, even though it's so unique to the individual, there is also a level of those shared experiences that we've all kind of like felt maybe in a different way, but it felt the same. It's amazing, dude. I love it. Unity through diversity. We, we, like you just said, we share kind of similar experiences but the the stories are a little different. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that, I think that really fits unity yeah. through diversity. That's awesome. Bro, a little, little different spice. A little right. different spice, right. baby. Flavor it up. Yeah. Flavor Town USA. I, <laughs> I just got an eye roll from Courtney. Hey, bro, thanks for coming on, dude. I appreciate it, man. We uh, thoroughly you. enjoyed having you. So now you ready to have some fun okay. for, for the end of the show? Yeah. Mix it up a little bit. You remember what we did last time with yeah. Casey? Yeah. And mix it up a little bit. I think I'm going to show you a couple pictures. All oh, right? no. Oh, man. I was creeping your Facebook. Oh, jeez. I'm going to show you some pictures. Stalking. That I didn't get this name. <laughs> the name wasn't given to me. I earned it. Yes. So I'm going to show you a, a few, a couple pictures from your facebook and i want you to tell us the story behind it like what happened where did it come from what happened all right um what did it feel like all that all that warm and fuzzy stuff so you ready for this one yeah oh man that is uh probably one of the proudest moments of my life you can see i'm cheesing in that picture that's whenever i got my peer support certificate in the mail um and i added some extra letters to my name that was uh that was definitely an amazing moment in my life my mom was right there she took the picture she for took me. the picture yeah it's got to be an amazing yes. moment for her for her i yeah. i i i know like she was very proud of me so it was just seeing her face in that moment was such an amazing amazing moment in my life well, I just want to, you know, that's something that me and my girlfriend, Caitlin, have uh, to look forward to soon. Actually, I think we just got enough hours and went to that event the other day at the Buncombe County Youth Opioid Summit Man, to put us over the 20 hours. You're so. checking your mailbox every day, aren't you? No, not, I, we haven't We haven't actually sent the okay, certificate okay. in, but uh, it, it's coming soon. I can't totally wait. Cheesing. I cannot wait. Oh, my God. it's he, He's totally cheesing amazing. in that picture, just like you said. It's, a, it's definitely an accomplishment. All right, you ready for another one? Yeah. You want to keep going? Should we do it again? Ready? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, that was when um, my girlfriend said that uh, she wanted me to meet her adopted family up in Boston. Um, I had never been up to the east, eastern, uh, northern states, and um, so I was like, 
Hell, well, yeah, I want to go to... <laughs> nice catch. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to go to... Uh, when was this? Uh, this was last summer. It was right after uh, right after I took the peer support training. Okay. So it was definitely an amazing time. I had a blast up there. Describe that picture, man. Yeah, we so we've seen... Uh, I guess uh, they have a very... Uh, famous in that area, Boston, New York, Nathan's Hot Dogs. Oh, one of my favorites, Yes, bro. it was right outside of a Nathan Nathan's Hot Dogs. And I just I seen it, and I was like, whoa, 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 we got to stop overdoing it. I got to go take a picture real quick. So what? tell us, tell our listeners what's going on in yeah, the picture. It's, um, it's, a, it's a picture of uh, me, and um, there's a cutout uh, of a hot dog. Looks like about a four-foot hot dog. Yes, I had to uh, experience the life as a hot dog. With a face cut out, and you're sticking your face through it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, And your girl is cheesing, but she looks like she's kind of laughing at you. Yeah, she probably probably is. (laughs) Having as much fun as you are. Yeah, she's like, I can't can't take this picture for you. I got to get in this picture, so I'm laughing at you. I just want to ask you, did you – I heard that you, you know, was a baseball player, and you went to Boston, and that is my favorite – Baseball team is oh. the Red Sox. Did you go check out a game like you was? I I did not get the opportunity. Oh come on! I did man. not get the opportunity. Uh, they actually they had a game there, but it was um, kind of uh, not my decision what we did while we were up there. Mm-hmm. Um, this was all about you know my girlfriend spending time with her family so um i kind of had to go along with what better place to go spend time at at fenway yeah a real gentleman man a real gentleman right there it's your first time meeting your family and all that stuff too right right yeah Yeah. gotta be on your best behavior for sure all right this last picture man it might catch me some heat i don't know how this is gonna go but there's a reason why i'm doing this all right all right i want to Focus on the positive. All right. But there's a reason why I'm doing this. And I think we might have had this conversation a while back. But you ready? Yeah. You sure you're ready? I I, I hope so. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, man. All right. And so the, the only reason why I'm doing this is because there's a connection yes. here, bro. Okay. The positive. So that was at um, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. Um, they actually were playing the Packers that day. Your favorite team. Well, Actually, at this time, uh, as you can see, I was in a Buccaneers jersey. Uh, Buccaneers were my favorite team at that point in time. When I moved to Green Bay, everything was about the Packers, and I really actually got tired of hearing about the Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was when like Favre was winning championships, yeah. and yeah. yeah. So that's when uh, you know I kind of converted. A championship. I converted at the time to uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Actually the year prior to them winning the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, and that's when this picture was taken? No. That picture was a couple years after – no, it was probably five years after they won the Super Bowl. Okay. But it was uh, the Packers and the Buccaneers. Um, yeah, it was it was a great time. I At the time, I wasn't with the right female. I was 19 years old, but uh, – it was it was definitely a great experience. It didn't end out too well, but yeah. you know, Bucks was, Packers. Yeah, what happened, man? I gotta ask. You could say it. Uh, the only reason I'm asking is because you'll see. Yeah, I, I um, <laughs> that was uh, so I was at that game and um, I was actually drinking. Uh, I was 19 and um, it was actually the first time I got arrested and went to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, 
during halftime. The first time? The first time. So you went to Hillsborough County Jail? Hillsborough County Jail. All right. Yeah, it was um, it was kind of a bad experience for me, but... Um, I, I only ask you this because the first time that I was arrested was inside that stadium at a Bucks packers game. Wow. That's the only reason why <laughs> I asked you. No Why'd way. you get arrested? We were 16, and we bailed out of the game to go through the parking lot to people's tailgate parties. We were trying to steal beers, <laughs> right? So we were going, like, car to car looking for, like, either an open car or a cooler hanging out behind the car because we are trying to steal beers because we were underage. We couldn't get beer, right? So we're, like, hitting car, car, car. We're not stealing anything but beer, right? We're just tr- looking for beer. And... All of a sudden, we get hemmed by undercovers, man. They just they they swarmed us, slammed us on the ground. They thought we were trying to steal cars. Oh man! They thought we were breaking into cars to steal the cars. I guess they had had a bunch of burglaries like throughout the season, so they were on <laughs> high alert, undercover. And like, yeah, it was my first run in with law enforcement. Fortunately, I was underage, and uh, they called our parents uh, to come pick us up. So. But, yeah, that's the only reason why yeah. I threw that picture out there is because, yes, me and Dustin have both been arrested at Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Green Bay Packers, Packers. football game. Something about, <laughs> something about the Bucks versus yeah. the Packers, huh? Yeah. The Battle of the Bays. Let me ask you this. Have you been back to a game? Actually, um, the it was like a year or two after that, I went uh, to the Bucks packers game again uh, with my dad. Uh, this time uh, we kind of – you know, cut it back. We didn't. I didn't drink at the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were more calm at this game. Yeah. Have you been back to a game in recovery? I that I haven't experienced. Uh, that is something that I definitely want to check out here in the near future. Um, we need it. We need to mark our calendars and go to a Bucks game in Charlotte. They play yeah. in Charlotte and Atlanta every year, dude. Yeah, twice. But once in Tampa. One. Yeah, yeah. I definitely want to check that out. Let's let's add it to the schedule, man. The NC Raw football trip to Atlanta. Well, we y'all are doing that. I'll go to Boston and watch my Patriots. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Bro, that's been a blast, dude. I appreciate you coming on, Dustin. Yeah, um, I, I got to thank you guys once again for having me on the show, man. You guys are doing amazing things. Your story is very inspirational, and I, I think that Caleb will, would agree that it's uh, it's been been a fun time today. I'm actually going to go ahead and reach out to Lori right now until I'm going to set up a second want, meeting. And message her on right on the way out of here. Yep. All right. Tell her we're tooting her horn tonight too. Uh, I will. You know she's going to hear. Yeah, you got to tell her to listen in on this one. <laughs> Caleb, man, before we close out, dude, what do you got going on in your life? A lot of things. A lot of things on the horizon. I hear. Yeah. Is there yeah. anything you want to share? Is there anything that you don't want to share? Like. I mean, I'm an open book. I, I, don't, I don't mind sharing anything. Uh, we'll keep it raw. So, what's on your list of things? I know you've been talking about this run to Oklahoma coming up in the near, very near future. Yeah, next month. Next month. Uh, I actually had a call the other night from some guys in the film industry that uh, want to help support me make this uh, dream a reality as far as the documentary goes. Mm hmm. Because the runs the reality. I mean, I, I'm like, that's going to happen regardless. But um, they, they want to. They asked me how big did I want to make this this documentary and how, who did I want it to reach, and to plan out all the details. And they're going to call me back on the 24th. So you know, send good vibes my way. Good, you know, send prayers my way for that to um to come to fruition. So they want to document the entire. 
Yeah, and they, journey. They, they asked me like how, like I said, how big did I want to make it, and do do I want it to be on CNN? Do I want it to be on ABC Saturday Night Special? Um, and whatever I, you know, I want it to be. They're going to help me, you know, try to make it that. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I talked to you on the phone that night. You were fired up about that, bro. Yeah, fired up like twenty two miles into a run. He so, called me after he got the phone with these people. He was on his treadmill. All I hear is thump, 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 thump. <laughs> I'm like, bro, are you on your treadmill? He's like, yeah, I'm on my treadmill running right now. He goes, I got like tw- however many miles yeah. in already. I was like. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, consistent action. So we're going to see how that goes. We also, uh, I, I have my friend who I want everybody to check out. He is a huge uh, recovery champion. He, he He's from New York City. His name is Thomas Shanahan. Okay, and he uh, has a foundation, an organization called Spiritual Adrenaline, and he's writing a book. It's called Spiritual Adrenaline: Nourish and Strengthen Your Recovery, which will be coming out February of 2019. Okay, and uh, just go on there, check him out on Facebook. Um, I know that he he really support us and uh, the podcast and whatnot. So, but he he uh, reached out to me and asked me if I would. Uh, <clears throat> Um, do him the honor and it's it's really the other way around but being featured in his book each chapter is going to be dedicated to somebody who inspires him in his own recovery and he asked if I would you know um, answer some questions and be that inspiration for one of the chapters were you running on the treadmill when you talked to this fella too I actually I was I believe I, I honestly I really was um, so yeah I'm looking forward to that That that's a huge honor um and another thing that's going on, I actually got a message while we were sitting here from the superintendent superintendent of Cherokee Schools, uh, Dr. Murray. Who, Y'all are already doing big things with that school system, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm getting ready, it's getting ready to blow up even bigger. But Dr. Murray, who is the superintendent of Cherokee Central Schools, um, who also has been affected by the... Uh, addiction epidemic he had his son was he lost his son to a heroin overdose a couple years ago and he's been kind of you know uh, watching my story and watching what we got going on in the recovery community in in Cherokee and in the surrounding areas but he wants to have a meeting with me and and in hopes of making Cherokee the first recovery high school in North Carolina and leading that movement beautiful man that's amazing oh my that would look phenomenal and what you know we just had another I don't know I'll share that. Another somebody passed in our community in Cherokee. She just got out of prison. She passed away. We don't know the exact details um, surrounding her death. But, um, yeah, it's we don't know what it would have been like if somebody would have met her, been there to meet her at the door. Yeah, like so, what he's describing. Yes. What Dustin's describing. Exactly. Um, I know that I went to our le- some of our leaders in our community to talk to them about a peer support program where they would meet people, uh, enrolled members who are getting out of jail and, and rehab and prison to meet them at the, at, at the gate or at the door and say, hey, I'm here for you, you know, I believe in you. We don't know what kind of impact that would make, but I'm going to keep pushing for that, keep advo- advocating for that and see where that goes. Awesome, man. Thanks again, y'all. I think we're we're about done with episode six appreciate you sitting down at the table with us dustin and sharing an honest story and appreciate you brother thank you guys
Caleb, you're doing amazing work, dude. I love both you guys. Thank you for listening to NC Raw, recovery always. The NC Raw family would like to thank today's musical contributors, Rival, whose work can be found on Facebook, SoundCloud, and YouTube by searching Rival727, and Logan Bruce, whose work is on Facebook at lo- facebook.com slash Logan Bruce Music. Check out his work, like his page. Over the next couple months, we're going to be taking our show live on YouTube and we're going to be starting up a Kickstarter campaign to help raise funds to build our own studio and recovery community center and meeting space in our local community. So please be on the lookout for the link to contribute to our Kickstarter campaign. All of our NC Raw content is available by visiting our website at www.ncraw.life. Please subscribe to the site to receive exclusive content offers that will be sent directly to your inbox. And be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at WNC Raw. Thanks again for tuning in.